Bible or some electronic device, you'll be looking at the Scriptures with us. Uh, We'll be in Luke chapter 12, finishing Luke 12 um, this morning. Been working our way through Luke for most of the year, and we still have uh, obviously several weeks to go. We're at roughly, we're just kind of past the halfway point. Um, Just a little bit of brief recap. Um, One, just kind of overall, remember this book has been written um, with its sequel, Acts. Um, by Luke as a kind of just orderly account of, of the life of Jesus from the announcement of John the Baptist to the announcement of Jesus' birth through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, right, and then into the, the first generation or so of the church in Acts, really to, to lay out, hey, here's what the plan of God was, and here's why there is some, some animosity and friction between the church and Judaism, Right, like why that is happening. He's trying to answer those questions and to make sure that we have a a clear picture of what Jesus um, came for, what he did, and now what it looks like moving forward. And so, as we've been in Luke chapter 12, um, last week the tone was was heavy, right? Because we we see that Jesus, um, although is uh, although he's tender, um, there's also this side of judgment, right, that is coming. And the reminder that we, we saw last week was that the, although the return of Jesus is unknown, it is certain, right? We, the, the, time, the timing of it's unknown. The certainty is that it's happening. Um, and that everything will be exposed, right? Everything will be brought to light. Um, and then in that, that point, right, we're standing on one side or the other with Jesus. And so that tone is going to continue this morning um, as we... Finish Luke chapter 12. So pick up in verse 49. I came to cast fire on the earth. I told you the tone is continuing. And would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. There will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, see, there will be scorching heat. And it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you'll never get out until you have paid the very last penny. All right. The tone continues, um, and we have kind of maybe what initially will feel like three somewhat disjointed, brief sayings. What we're going to see this morning is that Jesus is tying these all together, and that there is um, a, a continuation of thought here for us. If we look back in verse 49, though, as we begin, he says, I came to cast fire on the earth. We've already seen in Luke that, that fire 
Um, and fire is one of those words that can be used for imagery for several different themes or ideas in Scripture. But in Luke, it is primarily meant for judgment. Right? We've seen that. If we go all the way back to Luke chapter 3, uh, verse 9, uh, we see this. Um, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And then even down in verse 17 of chapter 3, um, speaking of Jesus, John the Baptist says, His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Right? He was telling us, the prophecy was, that Jesus is coming, and in His coming, He's going to bring some separation and division. He's going to sort people into two groups, and they're either going to be for Him or against Him. And much of what we've seen so far in Luke is, is Jesus is right calling people into relationship with Him, and it's creating division. Right? And so this idea of fire is that there's going to be a, a judgment, a cleansing that comes. Remember the disciples um, earlier, in, I believe in, in Luke 8, say, hey Jesus, do you want us to like, when those people rejected you, would you want us to call down fire on them? Right? Like the idea of fire is judgment. And we see even in Jeremiah that this theme continues. This is Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 14. Therefore says the Lord, the God of hosts, Because you've spoken this word, behold, I am making my words in your mouth a fire, and this people would, and the fire shall consume them. Like this theme of fire as judgment is is prevalent throughout the Scriptures. That When Jesus here is saying, I came to cast fire on the earth, He's saying, "I, I came to bring judgment. Would it already be kindled? Why would He say He wants it to already be ablaze? What he's saying is when, when, the, when that has happened, when everything that I've come to do has occurred, right? our kingdom, my kingdom, will be here in its fullness, right? It'll be here completely the way, and it'll be exposed in that way. But in the meantime, right, we're seeing the bits and pieces of it. We're not seeing it as fully as you will. It's not yet. And so he's, I wish it was because that you would see and know. And he continues, I have a baptism to be baptized with. Now remember, Jesus has already been baptized by John the Baptist. He says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Here, he is not talking about being um, baptized in, in water. Right? This, that's not what he's referring to. His baptism that he is to be baptized with is death. Remember, he has already set his face towards Jerusalem. He is headed there, right? He knows what's awaiting him, and he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. He says, I have a death that is coming, that is necessary, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Why would he and Luke refer to this as baptism? Because again, the the imagery throughout Scripture of water is water is an element of, of punishment or judgment, right? We see this in the flood, Right, that when God poured out His wrath on the earth, it was through water. Right? In Jonah, right, as he flees from God, his punishment was water. Right? That he was swallowed by a great fish. You'll see this sort of language prevalent in the Psalms as well. Listen to just one. This is Psalm 69, verses 1 and 2. 
Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I've come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. Right, this idea of, of water flooding over us right, is, is this theme of judgment, punishment, of need of rescue. We'll see it in one other place. This is in Isaiah chapter 8. Beginning in verse 7. Therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them the waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria in all his glory. And it will rise over its channels and go over all its banks. And it will sweep into Judah, and it will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, similar language, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Now here he's talking about an actual nation army that's going to come in and overtake them. But he likens it to water coming in and flooding over the land. He's wanting them to hear judgment. He's wanting them to hear punishment. And so Jesus here, when he says, I have a baptism to be baptized with, he says there is an inundation of God's wrath and judgment that is going to come and wash over me. And I have distress until it comes, right? Like It's coming for me. And then he continues. Right? Like why, why would he be distressed? Because post-cross, post-resurrection, there is a more clear victory at hand. Right? The Holy Spirit is going to be sent. This, right, like there's a seal and a down payment of that victory. At the cross, the enemies have been put to open shame. And here Jesus is telling them, He's preparing them, this is where we're headed, this is where we're going, and you're, I'm trying to help you understand it's not going to look like you think it's going to look. I'm not marching into Jerusalem to overthrow Rome. Right? I'm overthrowing a bigger enemy than that. But you're having a hard time experiencing that and seeing that. And the wrath of God itself is going to be poured out on me. That's why he's, I've called myself the suffering servant. And so then he says something that seems shocking in verse 51. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? Right? And if, if you were asked that question, did Jesus come to give peace on earth? This morning, we would have with a resounding amen said, yes. Right? I mean, like, how many songs are we going to sing next month? They say that Jesus came to bring peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Right? Like that, that, that is like the theme of the month to celebrate peace. Right? Um, in Luke 2, we, we see this in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom He is well pleased. That we've seen Him throughout Luke already. Whenever someone um, is, is healed or someone comes and touches Him, right? There's some level of faith. He'll tell them, Go in peace. When he leaves the disciples in John, he'll tell them, I'm leaving you peace, right? Like, peace you have. Like, you're going to have trouble in the world, but I'm giving you peace. In Acts chapter 10, verse 36, Peter says, As in the word he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Christ Jesus, he is Lord of all. That even one of the disciples now here in the aftermath says, what am I preaching? I'm preaching good news. 
Whose good news? Jesus's. And yet, Jesus here, in speaking to them, says, you think I've come to give you peace? And you would expect our response and their response to say, yes, Jesus, that's why you're here. That's why your kingdom is coming. And he says, no, I tell you rather division. And it's meant to shock us and say, well, have we misunderstood? Like, what, what do you mean, division? Like, Jesus, like, aren't you here for peace? And he says it's not just division, but it's division all the way through society into the family. Like, into the most intimate part of our societal bonds, the family, the last, most private, smallest unit. You're going to see families divided. Three on this side and two on that side. Mom against kid. Kid against mom. It's going to go both ways. In-laws, right? Like, and and you're, some of you are thinking, man, it's the holidays. Jesus wasn't wrong, right? There is, and, and there's division. And some, some say that with a chuckle. Others would say that with tears in their eyes, right? Because there's legitimate division in your family. There's legitimate difficulty in your family. So what, what is happening? Why does Jesus seem to say this contrasting thing here? And once again, I want us to go back to the beginning of Luke. This is Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many may be revealed. And then obviously remember what we just saw John the Baptist say in 3.17, that he's here, right, to, to show us the wheat and to separate out the chaff. Like that there is division and separation that's coming. That is actually part of the work that Jesus is doing, is that he is showing those who are for him and those who aren't. And so he's not saying that I've come, right, to create war, but he's come to reveal Think about even the way his ministry has taken place thus far. That when he goes and he ministers and he brings healing or he brings life or he brings um, cast out demons, right? there is peace and relief in that individual immediately. And then what are the religious authorities always doing? They're criticizing him. Like They're not walking in that same peace. They're not receiving that peace. He is showing that there is a line, a demarcation between them. That are you going to receive me or are you going to stand opposed to me? He's like, so there is going to be something revealed simply in my coming. That there are two sides, and you're going to have to pick a side. You're going to have to pick a kingdom. Which one are you going to be in? And so ultimately, what, what he's revealing to us here is that he has come to bring peace, but the peace isn't universal. Right? Let's go back to Luke 2 for just a moment. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace. And where we often go is we put period there. But look at the verse. And on earth, peace among those with whom He is well pleased. Peace is not universal. It is for those who are in the kingdom of God. And there is a tremendous lack of peace. There is division amongst those who would stand opposed to Him. And would we all be 
humbled and reminded right now that we have all been in that kingdom opposed to Him. None of us were born here in this kingdom of peace and have stayed there forever. We have all been enemies with God, with animosity towards Him, and He has plucked many of us out of that and transferred us to the kingdom of light and given us peace. We're right the one that's been had the demon cast out. We're the one who needed healing. We're the one who needed tenderness. We're the one who needed grace. And we received it, and He said, go in peace. And He has taken those of us who are far from Him, Ephesians 2, and brought us near and made us at peace. But that if we continue to stand, oppose enemies of Him, there is not peace. There is division. There's division. You're going to get either division and judgment or peace. And it is completely dependent upon where you land with Jesus. Right? Which is where Luke is going, of going, do you see Him and how, what is your response to Him? Because the crowds are coming and they're not getting it. Church, would we not be like the crowds this morning where we're adjacent and near the things of Jesus and missing it completely? They're there watching these things happen and going, do another one. He's like, do you see who I am? Hey, Jesus, do another one. Do another trick. And they're missing Him entirely. And so the families will be divided. He's saying like, it, it, it's going to go to the point that there will be those in the family who will stand with Jesus and those who won't. And He said, I'm telling you, stand with me, even if it means division in your family. Those are not easy words. Those are painful words. Those are difficult words. But it is a reminder for us this morning for the absolute need for the church to be family. Like it is a calling that we have. But church, it is not, it is not cute language, and it is not just good advertising so that people will show up. It is an absolute necessity of life. That if, that if the, the, the collective people in a place are not family, then there are real gaps because Jesus is causing division in family. In families where no one has been a believer and then the Lord rescues, right? And they're like, hey, we're, we're not for that. Right? Where, where does that person go? Where do they land? Where do they find relationship? Emotional care. Physical care, like practical care, like this week, right? Like what, what we think about Thanksgiving, we think about family. What if division has occurred and mother is against son? Daughter-in-law is against mother Like what if those things have happened? The church can't deliberately say we're family and then not rise to the occasion. We have to be family. It's necessary. One of the biggest issues in the, in the Middle East or in the, really the Muslim world will be that it, for someone to claim Christ, it will be utter, absolute rejection from every relationship in their world. So they're saying, is Jesus going to be sufficient for me? Am I going to give up all of this to have Him? Well, there's, Jesus is enough. He is sufficient. And yet we're called to step in and be moms and dads and brothers and sisters and and grandparents and aunts and uncles 
to model right what it looks like to raise godly children or to have a faithful marriage. Right? We, we read this verse uh, just a couple weeks ago. But this is Hebrews chapter 10. The author says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, right? Like after you came to faith, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. So don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. Right? The reason they were able to stand with those who were having their property plundered or being thrown into prison was because others were coming around and saying, you're ours. You're, you're with us. What do you need? Live in my house. Right? Eat my food. Let me pay for the, like They were becoming a family. Now listen, this week, you're potentially going to sit across the table from folks that are not your favorite people. But because they're family, what have you done? You've pushed through. Right? You've pushed through. And you've done the hard work and you've attempted to live at peace. And those, those things have happened. How much more so than in this family? Do we forgive? Do we have hard conversations? Do we bear with one another? Do we right, love one another? Pray for one another? Like we live out the one another's of Scripture because we need this to be family and God has ordained that it would be. He has not left us alone. He has said it's not good for man to be alone. He has brought us into family. This is going to push back. This idea that Jesus would bring this sort of division, it pushes back on the idol of family in America. Where we have held a family up and said it is foremost. And Jesus can come alongside it, but he can't trump it. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm king. And there may be division in your home. But right, like there's a call to respond to the grace and, and to pray. And so what has Jesus already showed us? He's shown us tenderness. He's shown us that He's eating meals with those who disagree with Him. Right? That He's continuing to have those conversations. He's continuing to pursue them. And so it is right and good that we would do that, but that Jesus would be Lord, not family. That it would be a good gift, but it is not our King. It is not our God. And so we live as much as possible at peace with all. And we know that when there's division and it's because of Jesus, it's, it's about Jesus. It's not about us. And so we trust then that the arm of the Lord is not too short to save. And that He can reconcile and He can restore and He can bring someone who's not yet in love with Jesus into love with Him. Because we were once there too. Would we not forget that? So he continues. Verse 54, he said to the crowds, You see a crowd rising in the west, and you say at once, A shower is coming. So they would see the, a cloud, and it's coming off the Mediterranean, and they would know the Mediterranean right, has, has sent in water, sent in rain. 
He's like, you see, you feel the winds coming from the south, coming off the Negev Desert. He's like, and you know it's going to bring scorching heat. It's like you see these things happening in the world around you that aren't even happening at the moment, but they're future events that are coming, and you rightly um, understand them. And he's talking now to the crowd. He's like, but you're missing that God is at work. Look at what is happening before your very eyes. Look at what is occurring. How are you missing this? Like you're, you, you appear like you believe because you're around right now, but you're hypocrites. And you're missing it. He's calling them. He's like, this is willful. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. Why do you not know how to interpret the present time? How are you not seeing that God is at work now, bringing His kingdom to bear and bringing salvation close? Right. Once again, if we go to, to early Luke, which just set the stage for us, right? Verses uh, 78 and 79 of chapter 1. The tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Jesus is doing that in their midst to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. He's like, those things are happening in your presence and you're missing them. But you can read the clouds and you can feel the wind. The church for us, we now have 2,000 years of church history. Right? We, we, we are on the other side of the cross, the other side of the resurrection. And we have 2,000 years to see that this message, this story, has attempted to be stamped out by, by governments and organizations, right? and it continues to, to move forth. Like, How are we reading this story and the signs of Jesus? That His message has not been stamped out. And that Jesus doesn't just say, hey, I was a good teacher, Take me right. He is saying, I'm God. Like, I'm the one. And so you either have to take him or leave him. Right? Like, you don't get to just kind of have this, this neutral, moral, like, kind of like, ah, gray area. He is either the Son of God or he is a lunatic who is calling himself that and telling people to divide in their family. Right? Like it's it's one or the other. And so how are we reading the fact that this story has continued now to Pampa, Texas, two thousand years later? And then he ends with this, this final section. And why do you not judge for yourself what is right? He's calling them right now. He's you can see him speaking to the crowd. He says, So hey, no, no, what I want for you, I want you to reflect. I want you to consider. Like, don't listen to the religious leaders here. What do you think? Why don't you consider? Why don't you reflect and respond? Why do you not judge for yourself what is right? And he tells a brief story. He says, listen, if you owed a debt and they are taking you, they've come to take you before the judge because your accuser will not let the debt go. He's like, and what's going to happen is you're going to go before the judge and, and you're guilty of it. You have the debt. And, and you would be a fool not to try to like, sort something out beforehand because if you actually make it to the judge and the judge says you're guilty, they're going to throw you in and you don't get to leave until you've paid it all. But how are you going to pay it? Because you're in prison. And so one of the ways they would try to get it paid is they would just beat the person so that maybe their family would come up with the money. But you're not getting out until you pay it. What is he talking about? 
that we have debt before God this morning. Right? If, as we stand as enemies of the Lord, if you don't know Jesus this morning, then you have debt before God. You are an enemy, and there's an accuser who is saying, you have sin. And here's the thing, he lies and twists things to, to mock and to deceive us. And for some of you, here's what he's saying, you have sin. Not that big of a deal. Don't worry about it. It's tiny. Look how much better you are than almost everyone you know. For others of you, he's saying, you have sin and you're horrible. God can never love you. You are filthy, disgusting. Like, like who could even look at you? Like, both of those lies are being said to folks in this room. For some of you, you're like, I've had both of those said in my life. Like, you've been on both ends of that, where you've been the one where it's like, it's not that big of a deal. Or it's been that it's it's crushing to you. It's not that bad, or you're too far gone. And Jesus is saying, if you knew you have debt, if you knew you had debt, you're guilty. Would you not want to tell the person who's taking you to court, hey, I'll pay it out. What can I do? How can we make this right? I don't want to have to go to prison. And what he's saying is, Jesus is here. And, and the judge, which is God, is standing waiting. And he's like, and if you show up with your debt before the Lord, you're going to be judged. You will pay for all of it. Forever. Or, there's a solution. There's one here that's willing to make a way. He's willing to take the flood of judgment and of wrath and, and you have to own, I have sin, I have debt, I have need. And He'll make it right. And He sorts it out, and then you're at peace with God. He's like, why, why would you not do that? Why would you be drugged before the judge? You'll never get out. Church, we have to own that we have debt before the Lord. That we have sinned before Him. We have to claim it and deal with it. And the way we deal with it is not in church attendance, it's not in giving money, it's not in voting the right way, it's not in, in being moral, it is in repenting and saying, Jesus, you are my only hope. You lived the life I was meant to live and have not lived. And then you took the beating that I deserved, you took the flood of judgment and wrath that I deserved. You have done that, not me. And where we feel like we're going to be crushed and it's the severe mercy, what we actually find is kindness and peace. Because we're ushered into His kingdom. We're found that we belong and we're called sons and daughters of the King. He takes it. Or we can dig in our heels and say, I got it. It's good. It's not that big of a deal. Or I'm too far gone. And before one someday, we'll stand before God. And judgment will come. And we will have no defendant. We'll have no one there on our behalf. And we'll be punished for eternity. And Jesus is telling the crowds, I'm here. Division is occurring. Look at what's happening in the world around you. You should see the gods at work. There's still time to respond. There's still time to respond. Like, see that I am good. See that I'm here to give peace. To receive it. Like, would this morning, would the, would the scales fall off of some of our eyes? 
but our hard hearts be broken to see that Jesus is good and He is saying, you have not done too much. No one in this room is too far gone. His grace far outruns our sin. But even the smallest sin, if, if held onto, will be punished. Right? If we do it apart from Jesus. So Jesus has taken the punishment. He has taken the flood. He's taken the beating. He has had that baptism poured out over Him. But there is time for you to respond and to trust Him today. And in that, you will find peace. Peace with God. Peace within yourself. And you will be equipped with the, the Holy Spirit, which allows you to live at peace with others. Right? Like he, The Holy Spirit becomes a down payment that this is true and real and right. That He is inaugurating His kingdom that is coming to bear so that this becomes true. This is Revelation chapter 21, a passage that you would often hear at a funeral. And I heard a loud voice in verse 3 saying from the throne, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God, and He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That is the kingdom that He is ushering us into for all time. By His peace. Because He has made peace for us with God. And He leaves it there. right? Luke loves to do this. He leaves it there. Because He's saying, how does the crowd respond? We're not sure. The question for us this morning is how do we respond? How do we respond to the same offer that's been made to us by King Jesus? It's left right for us now to respond as the Lord moves and woos and speaks to your heart that you would trust that you are secure in Him, that you're at peace with Him, that you're safe with Him. So the band's going to come back up here in just a moment. There'll be some men and women in the back of the room you need someone to talk to or to pray with. Um, the Lord's Supper is also set up, and the Lord's Supper is set up for believers, those who have trusted that Jesus is their peace, He is their hope, He is their salvation, that they're at peace with God because of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, not their own attempt. And we, and we take the juice and we take the bread, symbolic of His body and His blood being broken and spilled instead of ours. But listen, the, the first step for you, if... if that's not yet who you are. You haven't trusted Jesus that way. It's actually baptism. Right? Because what you're saying in that is you're standing there saying, I'm guilty, but Jesus has rescued me. Right? He's rescued me, and I'm, I'm being baptized in His baptism. Right? Because I don't have to die because He died. And as I come out of that water, right, I'm covered in Christ. Like, He was showing what He has done for us. And so our responses this morning are, the Lord's Supper for those of you who trust Jesus. And, and the question would be for those of you who don't, then let's respond in faithful obedience through baptism to Jesus. And if you need to talk about that, there'll be folks to do that. But let's, let's pray, and then let's sing to our King who has given us peace. Father, we...
We come this morning grateful that there is peace. But Lord, also grateful for the reminder that that peace isn't universal. Lord, and so for some it means division and it means separation. But Lord, that there is time to respond still. Lord, so would we, would we respond and trust and depend upon you in our own lives, but would we also be praying that for others right now who maybe we're not at peace with because of you, because of Jesus? Lord, we're asking you to bring them to peace, not just with us, but with you. God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, for those right now who are holding tightly to their sin, God, would you pull back their fingers from it? God, that they would see that you are better and you are enough and that they have a place to belong. God, would we be a church family where, where we mean it and we live it and we are family? God, would you, for those of us who might hold on to family too tightly, God, would you reorder that this morning? That we could allow there to even be division if it means it's because of you. Lord, not that we want to run folks off, God, but that we would hold tightly and first and foremost to you and allow the, the uncomfortable conversations to be there if necessary. Lord, we need you. We ask you to speak and to work and to move for our good and for your glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.